Action Park Media. Hello everyone, today's podcast is so good. If you need some relationship advice, advice on how to communicate and talk to someone who holds very different views from you, on top of that, we talk about advocating in the space of uh, the adult entertainment world. Candace used to be an adult entertainer as well. So, so many amazing things, a great episode, just delicious of information and wholesome advice. I love it. This is Pretty Depressed with Candace. Honestly, such a beautiful morning this morning, kind of researching all the work you're doing and watching all of your clips. And I feel like I'm a few years behind all the beautiful content that you're making. Um, So yeah, I just want to start by saying thank you. It was a really cool sort of, I want to say rabbit hole, but that's probably not the correct terminology. (laughs) Dive into some of the different topics that you cover and just, yeah, I feel like I'm in a season of life where I'm really working hard to back myself and have a voice and as a chronic people pleaser and perfectionist and someone with depression and all these other things going on, I think I have a lot of uh, admiration and for women like yourselves who feel really in their skin. It's a real goal for me. So I just wanted to kick off, first of all, by saying thank you. I'm so glad that we've been connected for that reason. And then I guess the best place to start is probably to introduce yourself and kind of I would love to, in your own words, describe how you got to this place and how and what makes you feel so confident holding space for the conversations you do. So, Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much. That was an incredible intro and thank you for sharing all of that. Uh, I'm so excited to be here um, with you and your listeners. Oh my gosh. It's so hard. Start at the beginning. What is the thing that got you that got you where you are, right? It's, you can kind of guess some things might seem more obvious than others. And I think if I had to pick like a recurring theme, it would be like leaning into discomfort and leaning into hard things. Or um, when your body kind of starts to retract for something, it's like that's an, a sign of an area that you can improve on. So I think we constantly want to be running away from pain. It's a survival mechanism. But if you can overcome that automatic reaction and look at it as an opportunity to grow and like bring yourself to the next level and just know that no matter what, if it doesn't even go according to plan, that there's going to be some level unlocked just for you choosing to go down a path you typically wouldn't. Beautiful. Yeah, that's. I'm working on that. I like being slightly uncomfortable and I think it's been really cool, especially on my journey with therapy and alternative therapies and stuff. Like I'm not afraid of the darkness, knowing that once you shine light on it, it's not dark anymore, but that is a rare quality. So um, I think you spoke in one of your videos about curiosity. How, How do you keep that alive in your life? Because I look at sort of my parents' generation and it feels like it's the world is trying to make us not be as curious, yet it's my most admirable quality in people that like yeah, is a turn on. I, I agree. I think it's it's really attractive. And even romantically or platonically, it's just attractive yeah. to have someone that has a very curious mind. And I think it starts with understanding that you there's no way you're ever going to know everything, right? And it's not being identified with your ideas. I think that's a really big issue that a lot of people get stuck in. It's they create um, like a whole like concoction of ideas and 
their own ethics and their own morals and their own judgments. And they're like, this is who I am. And they, they falsely identify with those beliefs instead of saying, based on the research that I've done, based on my experience in life and with people, um, this is what I've come to believe. But if I am presented with an immense uh, amount of information that challenges that, I'm open to examining that and adjusting if need be. And I think that's an important place to be is just constantly be the learner, constantly be curious, constantly ask yourself, what if I'm the one that's wrong in this situation? So not identifying and not being like so... um, I don't know, like so stuck and stubborn with those beliefs. And obviously some things are different, right? Like you can use the extreme example of we shouldn't murder people, right? That's a belief that we should all have and probably stick to very firmly. But there's other things that obviously can be a little bit more fluid. So I think it's just, um, I think it's those things. And also reading podcasts, like like consuming a whole bunch of different content and Find reading content that you might disagree with or listening to people you might disagree with because it just, if anything, it might just sharpen your intuition and your belief. And you're like, okay, I'm even more solid in my standing after listening to that. Or you get to this like beautiful place where you're questioning it and you can maybe see this overlap or you change your mind entirely. So it's just being, being um, open to all options. As a uh, podcast host, which you have an amazing podcast that people should check out, I have watched some clips of you holding different beliefs than people that you're interviewing. And I wondered, because it's all very well us, we're in agreement that people should be curious. Do you have any tips for anyone who wants to not bite back and do kind of what you do as a host? Yeah. Do you have any tips or tricks for people to kind of allow the conversation or what do you do? Do you just sort of bite your tongue and breathe or (laughs) how do you navigate that? Because it is, if people don't know, then these conversations don't happen. You know, it's not something we're taught. I think it's so important to have conversations with people you disagree with, right? Like you build a bridge from opposite sides, not on someone that already agrees, right? So making connection, it's important to do that. I think step one is giving back humanity to the other. I think we other people so often and we take that humanity, that basic respect and just like um, compassion away from them because now we see them as opposition. So recognizing it's a human being with a whole life, right? And they are not their opinions. I think that's step one. Um, Step two is to just actively listen. You're not listening and clocking every single, okay, I'm going to say this next. I'm going to say this and, and he doesn't know this. This is a good rebuttal, right? So it's just listening without expectation just to understand, right? You're listening to understand. You're not listening to win or to dunk or whatever it is. And then it's a conversation. So now you can connect on, I'm sure they will say something you agree with, no matter how outrageous or how on the opposite side of whatever topic, they're going to say something that you can connect with. So connect on that one thing and then offer an alternative perspective if that's like the context of the conversation. But um, not everything has to be a debate. Like you can just have a conversation to learn about someone else. And I've done this with people that have vastly disagreed with me on like on pretty much everything. And we're really good friends. It's not like a hostile um, relationship. So again, it's just like understanding that it's a human on the other side of it and not to like attack them simply because you disagree with them. And hopefully that they, you know, they'll reciprocate that and then treat you like a human. But it's like, if you meet them with force, they're going to respond with more. And now you're in an argument. And once you're there, no one's listening because you're both so throttled is no one is ready to receive new information. So now you both just lost. Like, what was the point? Like who can yell the fastest, the hardest and remember the most facts? Like to me, that's not really productive. 
No, and, and <laughs> I'm not good in that space either. I I tend to not fight or flight. I tend to fawn in mm-hmm. conflict because um, I just want it over with. And I, I almost need a bit more throttle sometimes because I think I just try to... Um, but you're right. You're you're not listening on either side of that, whether you're trying to solve or or yell. Um, what are the things uh, that you are a, a master or definitely better than I am uh, at and and speak about as well as an anti fragile marriage? I just engaged <laughs> like last week. Congratulations! So, thank you. I'm so excited. Um, and I just feel so happy that I feel like I found my person. We have great communication. Still, obviously, some areas that need work. Um, how do you define an anti-fragile relationship and yeah, you know, what is what does that look like? So I think the idea of being anti-fragile, it's not just to be strong because strong things break, right? Like that's not enough. And then if you look at whatever um like the little what do you call them? Like seams in the relationship when there's tension or there's drama or you know someone's sleep deprived whatever it is then it starts to kind of show these emotional seams that you have within that relationship and then if they're not addressed they start to burst so the idea of anti-fragility is basically to make something stronger because of the hardship so again it goes kind of like leaning into the difficult things so that concept of being forged in the fire I think is so important for a marriage because it's not going to be easy there are going to be days where one or both of you are done and want to quit but it's having like first aligned goals right like we are going to grow old together and we both agree that it's not necessarily going to be um, the honeymoon phase forever. Like you have kids, people lose jobs, like you never know what's going to happen. But it's being able to always remember you guys are on the same team with aligned goals. This is your person. You love each other immensely. So you take that thing that is exposing the seam and instead of blaming the other person, you're like, okay, well, how can we um, how can we use this to make us stronger? So you use that opposition to actually like take that energy and become stronger and forged in the fire in that way. Um, it's not always easy, right? It's so much easier to point fingers and to blame and to say like, you didn't listen or um, you're making a mess or you're not contributing or you're not giving me enough time. Like all of these very um, overused argumentative points are like now with social media, it's like you liked someone's profile. Why'd you follow that so, that person? Um, if that's as strong as you want your relationship to be, you are in trouble. <laughs> like you are in so much trouble because you're going to be faced with something a lot more difficult down the road than someone following someone or someone liking something or someone maybe having a conversation you didn't like. So it's being able to... Um, like take your ego outside of it because I feel like within love, there's no space for that. You have to be able to like push that to the side, push pride to the side and approach things with love and understanding the common goal. So I I think a very long-winded answer is just that you look at seams and you look at pain and struggle as opportunity to, again, like bring your relationship to the next level, not like this is going to make us crumble. Hmm. And how would you advise someone who perhaps doesn't have that level of communication in a relationship, uh, but maybe aspires to or is, you know, far enough down the road that other patterns have sort of formed? Like, how how do you think that people should best approach that? It's kind of like wanting to create a pivot in the way people communicate. So you can only work on yourself, right? Even if you're talking about a marriage, like you, I have no say over what my husband does or how he behaves at all. He is his own 
entity and I'm my own entity. And I find that the more that you work on yourself, the more that the relationships around you just start to evolve naturally. And it doesn't require that effort. Um, I think that it comes with a lot of self-awareness. It's it's so hard when you get emotional or something really really intense is happening. You get caught up in your emotions and your thoughts and your feelings. And again, it goes with falsely identifying with those things. So because you are so enraged, all of a sudden, like your relationship is trash. He's trash. The kids are always misbehaving, whatever. Like you're, you have a very, um, like, uh, mutated version of reality. It's not accurate to what's actually happening. It's just like, you're stuck in this place. So if you practice mindfulness and it's just a pat, it's, it's like putting in the work. It's like every single time you do it, you're creating a neural pathway that is going to make it more and more of a natural habit, but it takes work. It's not going to happen after one, five, 10, probably even 15 times, but it's like doing the work every single day, even if it's one minute. And when, if you sit with yourself and you sit with your thoughts, you can easily see them passing, right? And it's not to control anything. It's just being the observer. So if you're the observer for one minute a day while you're sitting in quiet, then when that happens, then you'll have the practice and you'll be like, I'm not my thoughts. I'm able, I'm not my feelings. I can push those aside and look mm-hmm. at the situation objectively. And then that leads to better communication. But if you're leading communication with like blame, shame, anger, all of these feelings, it's not going to end well. And I'm sure like if you just give it a beat, you wouldn't want to present yourself that way anyways, right? Again, it's like, these are the people that you love. So you don't want to be approaching them with all of that nonsense. So there's this spiritual teacher. Um, I feel like I'm going to mispronounce his name. So forgive me, but it's Tich Nahan, And um, he talks about conflict and specifically within relationship. And it's basic, it's like your duty to address it and not to ignore it. Um, however, you have to do it in such a way that you are centered. So you can take up to it, he says up to a day. So take up to 24 hours, do what you need to do to center yourself. If they're trying to approach the conversation before you're centered, like you ask for time and space. And then once you are there, you approach it with love. And you could be like, my love, you hurt me in this way and I need your help to fix it. And it's not like, again, it's not putting them on the opposite team. Like you're married, it's a union. You want to do this together. Um, So it starts with yourself. And I think it ends with yourself. And it's just mindfulness and awareness and all the reps and it's not easy but there's hundreds of apps you can choose um yeah i mean one of my favorite ones for breath work and um like movement it's called othership it's incredible i'm very kinesthetic i need to move a lot so sitting down is very hard this one's amazing and they have like some really woo woo stuff if you want to like manifest and um, they have couples breathing it's it's very cool so i always recommend that to listeners what is it called again sorry other othership other ship. Okay, got it. Downloading other ship. <laughs> yeah, couple's breathing sounds fun. It's really great. Oh, you could do it yeah. in bed. We did one in bed the other day. Um, and like you kind of you get into coherence together and like it's cool. just a really cool way to fall asleep with somebody. Oh my god, that sounds amazing. Yeah. I do long distance with my boyfriend, but well, fiance now. I have to change what I said. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that is a cool, I would love to, he'd be, he's so game to try anything, which I love. We did a couple's tarot, tarot reading the other day, which uh-huh. was so fun. It was really, it's cool. I feel really grateful. And it sounds like you two are with someone who's like, just open to trying things, which is, which is really beautiful. Yeah. Um, now are you, you were studying psychology, is that correct? So like all of this is also kind of in your training. Um, 
That just sounds so fun. I feel like now that I'm like dipping my toe in this, but I noticed in the um, when I was speaking to your team organizing this that you also, and I don't know if you do them anymore, but did spiritual retreats and uh, also did some work around psychedelics and wellness. And I'm really curious about that and speak to it as much or as little as you want. Um, it's not something that I've personally tried, but I am in therapy and hypnotherapy trying to change some of those neuro pathways that I have. I am a chronic spiraler. I only just recently learned that my thoughts are not the truth sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> which was there was a whole thing I was like oh god um I drama dress rehearsal a lot um so yeah I was just curious uh, it's not something we speak about a lot in New Zealand um it seems sort of still on that taboo side yet in LA mm-hmm. where I'm currently people work with it a lot more so yeah I was again with a personal and more in a holistic way just yeah how have you seen those kind of programs be successful to people especially if you're at the point of sort of running um retreats that work with that so we are in the process of launching this, like kind of, it's like a hybrid. It's partially a digital community, but the idea is eventually it's going to also be in person and there's going to be an overlap and it's going to be, it's so complicated. Um, it's going to be a place where you have spiritual leaders, thought leaders, um, relationship experts, psychedelic experts, basically of an alternative approach to just being a human. Like how do you optimize the human experience and finding people that, um, again, we might not entirely agree on everything that they say, but we just find that there is something really valuable that they're presenting to people and like getting all these people together. Um, when it comes to the psychedelics, the teacher that my husband and I work with and that is kind of spearheading a lot of this community. His name is Dr. Carlos Waters and he's one of like the OG psychonauts. So he went to Harvard. He's worked with Ram Dass. Psychonaut? Like an astronaut? Yeah, like a psychonaut. So like a psychedelic explorer. I didn't even know that was a word, but... Right? Yeah. So he's like one of the OGs. He's in his seventies, which I think is incredible. And the way that he approaches psychedelics is unlike anything I've seen anywhere. And to me, it's the, it's like the most honest and like ethical approach to it. So if you go to a retreat, typically everyone has the same drug. Everyone has the same dose. Um, It's not curated in for the individual, right? It's like this collective experience. And I'm sure that there is a time and place for that. But the, his approach tends to be, and like the mindset is, if you have a broken leg, you're not just going to give someone penicillin. And if someone has a cold, you don't cut them open for surgery. Like there's different medicines for different ailments and they get you to different places. So if you go to one of his retreats, it's very curated. So he works with you. There's... um like days of lectures before and it usually ends with like a sacred sacrament of a a psychedelic experience. Um, Some people are not invited. So like, it's not like just because you show up, you are entitled. Like he lets it very known that you have to put in the work and do all of the clearing before you are um, offered it. And then everyone is offered something very tailored to them, which I think is, it's what makes the most sense to me. Um, Yeah, he's a really, really incredible teacher. He's got some work out there that um, is on the internet, not as much as most, but we're we're working on it. But he's he's incredible. He has a ton of books out there. But I would say anyone that's interested in psychedelics, it's to understand your why. Like, why are you doing it? It's to find a very trustworthy facilitator. Know that they um, have a lot of experience. Like, find like a really reputable shaman 
or, um, you know, someone that has done the space, it's like a doctor or something like that. And then also know who you're going with. I think that that you put yourself in like this very vulnerable, open space when you're, you know, when you're experiencing this psychedelic. And, um, if you have someone that's like screaming like a banshee next to you and they, I don't know. It's like, again, everyone has their own experience and I'm not trying to judge it, but like, just like know where you're at and what you want to be surrounded with so that you can also just like ex- dive into your experience and not let it get overtaken by other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like hijacked a few, then become the carer or the nurturer or the, yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing too is, so this is also really important. A lot of shamans, um, a lot of these facilitators like you, you were supposed to hold the space. So you're energetically protecting the space for everyone that is participating, but some of them go a little bit too far. And it's like, you'll have someone that's having a really quote hard trip. And there's the idea that there are no hard trips. You have the trip that you're supposed to have, but then they kind of start coddling you and they're, you know, like they're putting their hand on you to help you breathe and set. And like, I think it's very important for people to feel everything fully it's theirs to process. And it might, and the reason I would challenge the reason that they're doing it is because they're uncomfortable, right? It's not necessarily to help the other person. And because they're like, they're like, whoa, this is hard for me to watch. Mm-hmm. It's not yours, right? It's not yours. That person, it, it is like a sacred journey that they are going on and they have got to work through it. And mm-hmm. struggle sometimes is like the thing that makes your wings stronger and you can't rob somebody of that. So I think that's also a really important thing to look at. Um, like how they practice when people are are taking the medicine. And this sounds so redonkulous, but my biggest barrier of entry is that I'm so worried that I would spew or shit myself. That's like the... Like the so it's like, control, control. Yeah, which is totally it. Yeah, it's just a, it's an interesting thing that I'm like, yeah, that's that seems to be my biggest like area of concern. Well, if you did like psilocybin, so if you were to do magic mushrooms, that's very, very, very unlikely. You might get a little bit nauseous, but that passes pretty quick. Now, if you're doing something like ayahuasca, that is just part of the plant. <laughs> I've never done it. I don't feel called to ayahuasca. I think that um, so traditionally the shamans were the only ones that were allowed to drink. Like no one else was allowed to drink. So the shaman would drink, they would get their downloads, they would have their experience and they would share it with the tribe. And then it's said that basically they felt like humanity was headed in such a bad direction quickly that they opened it up for everyone to be able to drink. And I wonder if that was the right move or not. You know what I mean? Like we're going into this weird space where everyone is now an expert. They've done 20 ayahuasca journeys and now they are a shaman and they know and they have a direct connection to God that you don't have, so you better listen to them. And to me, that's a huge red flag because I firmly believe everyone has the equal like the equal capability to, to connect with God and the divine, right? Like we're all part of that. So no one is supposed to be the gatekeeper of that. No one is supposed to be the authority of that. And when you see these like super egos that are being blossomed out of the psychedelic space. I'm like, I wonder if maybe that should have stayed with the shaman. Totally. Yeah. Under me. That's interesting. Um, I'd love to pivot to some of your advocacy around sort of the adult entertainment space if you're comfortable speaking to um I just think it's such a such a great opportunity to discuss the space. It's an area that I don't know a lot about. So excuse my ignorance on it. Um, I'd love to. I think it's so cool to have you as a resource as well to change any preconceived ideas or just a little bit of understanding of why advocacy was needed in that space and and just give you the opportunity to speak so we can be a little bit more educated and 
yeah, I worry that still there is a stigma around what that space looks like, especially for women. So yeah, I would I would love to be you know, part of the campaign and, and hear why advocacy was so necessary. Um, this is something I could talk about Sure. Yeah. Forever. You know what I mean? Because it's so complicated. I'm in the thick of it. And I think when you see people saying that there is no, like, there is no sexual shame, there is no sexual repression. um, If anything, like, they'll argue that culture has gone the other way too far, too fast, right? Because they'll say everyone has an OnlyFans, everyone is on Instagram half naked, everyone, everyone, everyone. And a, that's not true at all. It's fundamentally not true. I think there's some, there's like the last I looked, there was a million, uh, we'll say creators on OnlyFans. And I say creators because not everyone is getting naked and not everyone is doing sex acts. So like, I know people get really triggered when you say creators because they're like, it's not creative. Well, it, it is. And we can get into that for sure. Um, so it's, that's not a large people when you have seven, eight billion people in the world. So it's a million creators that are on OnlyFans. When you look at the women that are choosing to be more expressive and more public with their sexuality, with their bodies, that's not where you need to look when you're asking, is there still an undercurrent of sexual repression and shame? What you have to look at is the comments. What you have to look at is society. What you have to look at is now she has a permanent barrier for so many things moving forward. So if that wasn't true, then all of the other things wouldn't exist. She would be able to do that. She'd be allowed to change her mind. She'd be allowed to evolve as a human. So even if it wasn't like that was a terrible decision, I have so much regret. I didn't. I wish I didn't do it. Maybe it was like that was my season as a younger woman. Now I'm in a different season, and I want to do something else. But the world says you can't do that anymore because we have permanently branded you with a red A, and this is the only box that you're allowed to exist in. So now you can only do sex work. But wait, now you're still bad for doing it. So it's like a lose lose situation. So. Yeah you're not allowed to evolve as a human. And that goes against, I think, everything we should all want. You should always want to learn and grow and expand and um, hopefully look back at yourself a day ago, a year ago, 10 years ago and laugh and be like, wow, I can't believe I did that, right? Like I, and I've grown from that moment, but we're not allowed to do that. It's like, once you take your clothes off, you are no longer allowed an opinion. Everything that you say is stupid because now you're a whore. And to me, that's just so lazy. So you can't have all of that pushback and say that we don't have shame and repress, like sexual repressed energy and that there's still not a lingering of, of religion that is making all of this happen. And there's plenty wrong with the industry. Like I don't support the industry. I'm not like, yes, to this billion dollar monopoly that is, that is fucking people over, right? Like it is like turning and burning young girls. It doesn't care about their health, their future, anything. So no, I don't support that. I support choice. I support freedom of expression. And where, you know, in the States, it is protected under the constitution, like it or not. So you can argue that you don't like it. And I think the difference is discerning what is for you, what is for your family and what is not. And that's very different than saying no one should be allowed to do it or you're wrong because you do it. And it just shows like a level of immaturity. Um, And the thing is like all of these people that are trying to like censor it or ban it, whatever they're going to use to try to strike it down, let's say this happens, 
whatever loophole that they can find to now say that that is not a justified means of expression that is protected constitutionally, they will come for your religion. They will come for your ability to um, to speak whatever on whatever platform that you want, whether it's in a town square or a digital town square. So you have to be super careful that be just because you disagree with X, you need to really protect it still. Like you need to fight for that to be protected as freedom of speech, freedom of expression, because it doesn't ever stop there, right? Like once you get that ball rolling, it doesn't stop. It picks up way too much momentum. So the like there's this thought exercise that Naval does. And it's basically when you're trying to come up with a like a law, a protocol, a way of existence, imagine that like the worst person imaginable to you and leadership is in control at that time. So like you make these rules based off of your team being in charge right now, but they're not going to be in charge forever. So what happens when the other team is in charge and then they have your playbook? So you want something that is fundamentally fair to everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it's um it's a tough one. We we in New Zealand it's so interesting. We're going through uh coming up to an election process at uh at the moment and there's a, a lot around it, not the adult entertainment space, but around, you know, um uh transgender and different uh bathroom facilities and stuff. And it seems like not the same argument, but a similar thing of the people trying to control that or expression as well. So um, there are some parallels that I'm hearing you say of like ways to solve and way to do that I think would be really helpful for people to kind of listen to. Um, yeah, did you become an advocate in this space by um, <laughs> force? Did you feel a calling to it or is it just something that you feel you are equipped with the tools of communication and um, you speak so eloquently that it, it feels like a cause that's fallen in your lap in some way may not be what you wanted to be doing at this time. But yeah. I yeah. I just naturally have like a warrior spirit, like a fighter spirit. I, it yeah. it is like very difficult, if not next to impossible, for me to ignore things when I see them like so wrong. And yeah. it's gotten me into trouble a bunch of times. But I think where I started getting really boisterous was after I had my first child. It was after my husband lost um, funding for his company because he was married to me. He's never been in the industry, but he married me and that's his sin. Um, and I know that the way that people treat us is that's not okay. Insane. That is not same thing. I'm so sorry. It happens all the time. It happens. I'm grinning because I'm like that. I don't know how know. to process that information. No, I know. It's, it's, it's like high school. You're going to you, that just because you, I don't know, just because you work with him doesn't mean you support me. Like those are, we're two different people. Um, and if you look at most tech businesses, there's some kind of connection to adult something like Twitter has a ton of porn on there, right? What? No one is turning down Elon Musk or his ideas, right? Like he, you recognize him and like his capabilities. You're not like, oh, your platform allows porn. That must mean you are pro-porn. You are a terrible person. Like, no, it is much more complex than that. Like he's a freedom of speech, almost absolutist. So he's not taking it off the platform. You know what I mean? Like, and there's guardrails around it. Like he, fl like, he'll flag it. You'll, you'll have to click buttons. Like it, it, he, um, like kind of throttles the account. So it's, he's not making it as readily available as even the previous institution, but mm. there's porn everywhere. Right. So to, it's just a lot of hypocrisy that's happening. Um, 
And then when I think about my children, like they're still really small, but I know at some point it's going to be an issue and that's not right, right? So if you want to even bring the religious argument into it, it's the sins of the son are not the of the father, you know, or like this, you know what I mean? Like the sins of the father are not the son. So you're judging my child and you're treating a child with malice and cruelty because you disagree with what I did like that. And you're going to say, I'm the bad person. It's just, uh, I just know that it's wrong. And I don't know, I don't know how to get people to get to a place of, again, discernment. I'm not trying to promote the work or say everyone should do it or that even everyone should be okay with it. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is stop taking the humanity away from people that have made a choice that you don't like. Yes. And that can be for any and everything, right? For sure. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad that this space has someone like you to to speak eloquently about it. Um, so thank you. I also realize I'm slightly over time, but I do have just one more question. <laughs> um, something I ask everyone, and I am really curious about yours, is what their brain looks like. If it was a picture, um, my acting coach is my favorite one. He thinks his is kind of like a haunted house. Some doors are locked. Some rooms are beautiful, mysterious. Um, <laughs> some people have beautiful gardens. But yeah, if your brain was a scene, what what does it look like? Oh my gosh, I've never even thought of that. That's a really interesting (laughs) question. Man, the first thing that popped into my head is just like a galaxy. Like I just see a galaxy. Yeah. Beautiful? Yeah, just like lots of stars, lots of constellations. Um, Yeah, lots of of galaxies beyond the galaxy. Okay. okay. Like a James (laughs) Webb photo. That's what I see. Perfect. Your curious brain is, <laughs> is deeply cemented in you. Um, hey, well, thank you so much. And where can people find you? I know you have a, uh, well, obviously your podcast as well. Um, but yeah, tell people where they can find you and, and how they can connect. Um, so you can go to chattingwithcandice.com and then it's Candice Horback on all of the socials. Beautiful. Oh, thank you, Candice, for your time. It's been um, really inspiring, like coming across you and finding you and you've got a huge fan in me. Um, so, and I know, uh, yeah, New Zealand will, my New Zealand audience and wider will be really excited to have you in their kind of community now. So um, thank you. Well, thank you, you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs>